Hey everyone, this is Terry Mitchell with the Voice on Fire interviews. Uh, if you've not tuned in before to watch any of my previous interviews, this is a platform for those people that I consider are making a big difference in the world. Either they might be in their local community areas that they're making that difference, but it has a ripple effect. It could even be something that they're doing around the globe. But it's important that I, I'm really committed to focusing on people that are action takers. They're change makers and difference makers and they're people that are making a difference. And I have a lovely guest today from all the way from the UK. Uh, and for those who may not be familiar with, I'm down in Melbourne in Victoria in Australia. So it's a big time difference. It's eight o'clock in the morning for Michael Earl. How are you, Michael? I'm very well, thank you, Terry. Lovely to be here and awake. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. With your coffee, I believe, which is good. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, as I said, for those that may not be familiar, these interviews are really about finding out what it is that these amazing people are doing to make a difference um, to anyone around the world. And Michael certainly somebody who's making a difference. And Michael, I would like to get that conversation started so people can become familiar with who you are, what it is you're doing, and you know the implications of that. So, yep. my usual three questions are: What is it you do? Who do you do it for and why do you do it? Let's open up that conversation. Right, okay, so what do I do? Um, great question. I wanted to say um, thank you very much, Terry, for um, allowing me onto your platform to speak. Um, so what I do, I am a wellbeing consultant and, and I basically help people to readdress or rebalance their work-life balance. Um, what I was finding out is that basically people were not looking after themselves, working really hard, but becoming stressed out, burnt out, um, which as we know is not really good at all. So I'm, I'm helping people to redress how they look at themselves and how they, they balance their work and life. Mm -hmm. um, and what, oh, I forgot your second question. <laughs> Who do you do it for? Right, okay, Terry, I do it for everybody. So individuals, um, organizations, corporate, schools, um, any kind of business, but any individual. So it, I'm not just exclusively for a, a particular type of person. It's for everybody because well-being is a really important of everybody's life. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's, you know, who I'm doing it for. So there's no, there's no special person. It's, it's for everybody. If, if you're alive and you're working, you're functioning, you need to be looking after your well-being, basically. And so I'm just trying to help anybody who is interested mm -hmm. and wants to do that. Yeah. And the mission that's, what, what's the mission that drives you? The, the reason why? What's the, why do you do it? What, obviously you've said that it's important, but what started you focusing on that? What was the driver behind that? Right. Um, that's a really good question, Terry. Well, about four years ago, 2016, um, and the year before that, 2015, I, I was a social worker. So I've been a social worker in the UK, in my local area for about 12 years. Um, I live in Bristol in the southwest of England. Um, it's a fairly busy city, so it's, and it's very cosmopolitan, very, you know, cross-section of communities. Um, but I was doing child protection work for, for 12 years, and it is very, very demanding. Mm -hmm. um, and in around about 2015, I was beginning to see that the, the work, the level of work was beginning to impact on my personal home life. I was beginning to be quite stressed. Um, there was management issues and concerns that were being unresolved. And I had to make a decision, basically, Terry, whether I was going to continue working like that, which was not very comfortable for me. And I was believing that I wasn't being 
good to myself. Therefore, I wasn't doing my job properly. I didn't want to get into that sort of slump and a dangerous area personally for me and for my clients. So I had to make a decision. So on the 19th of January, 2016, I resigned from my social work career um, and I was 50 years old. And then a lot of people saying, wow, what were you doing? You know, I said, look, I have realized that if I continue like this, it's not going to be good for me. And that's not going to be good for my life and anyone I'm working with. So I left, uh, retrained as a well-being consultant, well-being champion, and I've been taking courses and reading. And so I'm now um, running my own well-being consultancy, been doing it for four years. And I'm able and I'm, what I'm finding, I'm able to help more people than I was when I was doing social care. And, and that's the thing now, because I've got a, a wider reach, a wider audience um, because of technology mm-hmm. it just allows me to help more people um, and my why the actual reason why I do what I do is that I'm helping people to help themselves um, look after their well-being and make it a non-negotiable priority so I basically want them to put their well-being right at the top with everything with all the other things rather than leaving it as an afterthought so I'm telling people to say no you've got to make your well-being right in your top three your top two or maybe your number one priority because if we're not well, we can't do what we would like to do. And, and that's, the, that's the simple truth. Basically. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really, I think COVID and for anyone who tunes into this at some point after COVID perhaps isn't quite so much part of our everyday life and conversations. They'll, I think COVID put a lot of emphasis on people's need to take care of not just their physical well-being, but most certainly their, their mental health. It's certainly been an incredibly difficult time. Have you found that in the last four years that COVID has changed any of the things that you are doing or the experiences that you've had or who you are helping at this stage? Um, Absolutely, Terry. Yes, it it has, because um, I also work part-time for a mental health charity here in the Southwest um, as as a men's complex needs practitioner. And what we've seen since COVID is at least a 30% increase in referrals um, not just from men, from, from everybody. So the need for our services, for mental health services, has you know skyrocketed, basically. Um, and I've also seen a direct impact on my work that I do, my well-being coaching. Um, the, de- the demand for my work, again, has gone up about 50, I'd say 50%, definitely. Wow. Um, and so it, it's, had a, it, it's positive for me because I'm helping more people. But there, there's a need, there's very clearly a need, and people are reaching out for support. So yes, basically, massive yeah. increase. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'd be curious to, to learn, I guess, um, whether it's an increase because people have become more, perhaps more conscientious about it and the numbers have increased simply because people are more addressing it more so rather than there's an actual increase in the conditions that are being man- uh, you know, perhaps brought to your attention. What would you what would you say would be the case there, or is it perhaps a bit, a bit of both? Um, again, Terry, excellent question. I believe it's a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm seeing, and again, what I believe is that this COVID pandemic has just amplified what's always been there. Yeah. That that's what I really think is 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 the situation. You know, people do have these situations, but before the pandemic what we were usually doing, and this is very generalization, what I'm saying, is that people just say, well, it's okay, I'll, I'll just get along. I'll just, I'll just keep going, I'll just keep going, it'll be fine. And what is happening now is that people are noticing that it's not just gonna be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, because I went, I had a little bit of trauma training with our team and basically 
this pandemic is a form of trauma because it's oh. long-term, yeah, long-term uncertainty, long-term emotional pain, mm -hmm. and we don't know when it's going to end. Mm -hmm. So we are all experiencing it and some are man managing it better than others. Mm -hmm. um, so there is definitely um, a need for people to reach out now. They're, so they're realizing that you know, this well-being mental health thing, it's not just a, a few words and a, um, ticking a box and saying, yeah, I've been on a mental health course. It's, it's actually a very integral part of our lives and we can't ignore it anymore. So I think that's what the pandemic has shown us, that we this is something that we need to be doing on a constant basis, not just as a one-off. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you mentioned that you are involved in the complex needs area of um, taking care of people. My, my background, um, you know, some people will know this about me, my background uh, and one of the qualifications that I obtained was as a psychiatric nurse and I worked um, in, I worked initially in an acute um, admission centre. So in other words, when people were coming in critically unwell um, and being assessed by psychiatry services and various other things that were going on. Um, but I also did one-on-one -on -one, um, specific care and that was, I found really confronting, but really something that you had to really have your heart open to doing because it's very, very distressing to see someone at a really critical point. Now, I mention that because that's my understanding of, of people that are in quite a complex situation. What's been the driver behind wanting to participate in complex needs? Where's that come from? Um, well, Terry, I was actually asked by the, the manager of that organisation if I would like to join them because of my social work background and um, my many years working there. Um, this particular manager has known me and asked me if I wanted to work on a part time basis. And I said yes, because it aligned up with my well-being mission. Um, and so what I'm doing, I, I specifically work with men. Um, mm -hmm. And as you as you may know, men are not that sort of forward coming when it comes to expressing sort of mental health and emotional needs. So there is a really big demand to help them actually express, you know, what's going on. And especially now in these times. Mm -hmm. So we offer that service to them, you know, a safe, um, a safe space where they can actually express what's going on because it is, you know, obviously very personal, very private. Um, but we provide an environment where they can actually talk about these things because mm -hmm usually in, in the in the workplace it's it's not really something that is done so you know we can actually work with them if we if it's too complex we can refer them on to other services so we are linked to other services across the city but we're usually the starting point which they would come in for support and help and you know basically they're recognizing that something's not right and they need to find some support so we're there to sort of start them on that journey and depending where they are we will help them or if not we will refer them on to more um, advanced services for their needs. Wow, yeah, that's that's really valuable to know. For we we just sometimes, as you say, men men are not really that uh, comfortable or socially conditioned is the way I tend to look at it. They're not socially conditioned to open up and speak um, mm. or to acknowledge that they have softer emotions. And when we say softer, it's not just getting angry and being all blustery about things and she'll be right. It's yes. that I'm not okay and. I feel like crying and I'm having a bad day and I'm really not, you know, I'm not coping with life and yeah. feeling safe enough to say that and knowing that that doesn't emasculate them. It doesn't take away their right to consider themselves the men that they see themselves to be. And I'm wondering what sort, of, what sort of issues do you find that you have been able to identify 
And is anything, as you say, amplified because of COVID, particularly with dealing with the men that you are um, helping? Um, yes, Terry. Uh, one of the main ones is a lot of anxiety or anxiety is being amplified. Um, depression, um, isolation, and um, sadly, attempts at suicide as well. I've, you know, dealt with some men who have been considering it and have attempted it. Um, so it really is quite the, the impact that this thing is having is really quite devastating. Um, and there are some statistics that show that men, and now this, this sounds a little, I don't want it to sound negative, but it's just statistics. Mm -hmm. Men are more successful when they attempt suicide than women, they, they, because they actually are, they, they go for it and it, and it happens. Um, the statistics show that women will sort of, they'll make attempts, but sometimes it might be a cry for help, but men, when they go for it, they, they you know, they execute, they go, all the way so their, stati their statistics for um suicide are higher than women which is you know not a great statistic to have but it's something that we need to be aware of so when we do see maybe some of our friends who are talking about it it's, it's a serious concern and if we can you know signpost them to help and support it could make that difference it could really save their lives you know being able to say look there's i think you need to talk to somebody um let's let's call somebody now you know even that short conversation could literally save somebody's life Absolutely. And I think one of the things we have here in Australia is a, a campaign that started quite a few years back. Um, I think it's around 10 years ago, but I don't recall exactly. Um, and it's called the R-U-O-K campaign. So that's the letter R, the letter U and the letters O-K, as in just those four letters make up the R-U-O-K. And its, it's intention was to prompt us to ask somebody, are you OK? And to have that conversation. Sadly, look, it's been open up to a lot of debate as to whether the campaign is really that valuable. I, I admit it straight up. When I first heard about it, I thought it was a bit of a waste of time. I was quite critical of it, and I openly say that. But in saying that, I was critical of it because I, my, my first thought was we shouldn't just have to have one day of the year where we have a campaign that we, we acknowledge just to prompt us to ask. But then I sort of had to step back and think, it's better to have that than not. And then the other aspect of that conversation was people didn't know what to say if they asked, are you okay? And the person said, no, I'm not. So people were actually not really fully engaging in the program when the campaign was um, taking off because it's actually scary for a lot of people. And I wonder if it's something that you have observed. It's actually quite scary when you think that someone's not okay and it could even be leading down that pathway to perhaps self-harm or suicide. And you don't know what to say. Like, what's the intervention? And my background in psychiatric nursing, I've, I've learned what to do. It's, it, that's part of my training. So I'm, I'm very comfortable in that situation. It's not a nice one, but I'm okay with it. What's yeah. been your experience? How do you find, you know, what's, what do you do when you're in that situation? What would you recommend people say or do? Um. Terry, really great point that you've pulled up and really important point as well, because um, as you said, it's great to start the conversation, but it's where you go. Um, by the time people get to us, they're, they're in the right place. So, you know, we can deal with them in the mental health charity. I would advise for people who are just maybe having that conversation or brave enough to have it. And then somebody comes back with actually, well, I'm, I'm not 
okay, I need support. The first thing I do is to um, direct them or signpost them back to their local GP or their general practitioner or doctor, because the reason I'm doing that is because that might be number one, somebody they're familiar with, or maybe the practice that they're familiar with. Mm -hmm. And I believe that there should be then support there to then further signpost them on. So that's my, my number one bit of advice for somebody who hasn't got any experience and they have that conversation. And then the person comes back and says, well, yeah, I'm feeling a bit wobbly and I'm a bit shaky. General practitioner, first protocol, then from there, the general practitioner should be able to signpost onto specific and needed services, depending on what that person says. So I think I think personally that that's the safest and quickest way and best response without avoiding any, you know, any complications then because you are putting them straight back into the professional's pathway. Yeah, yeah. And and in that situation, I totally hear what you're saying. I think it's really valuable that we do remind them to stay connected to any medical or um, allied health support services that may be something they're already comfortable with. You know, quite often we do have a family doctor or a what we call a GP here in Australia, the general practitioner. Um, so, you know, it's, it's quite common to think that that would be a, a really good uh, support approach. Let them be connected to the medical and allied health services because they could definitely be the people that have a, a professional intervention that's going to you know, save the person's life. What I look at in that respect, though, if we were to say unfold this a little bit further, let's say somebody does um, have a conversation with you and say, well, you know, it's funny, you know, Michael, somebody said to me the other day that they were having a really bad day and I didn't know what to say. What, what else would we think of? Because sometimes just that idea that we're suggesting they, they are connected to their GP or doctor can feel a little bit of a disconnect that maybe we're going, oh, it's too hard for me. Are there any other conversations that you would encourage people to have? Because as it really doesn't matter where you are in the world, it's more obvious than not in places like Australia, the UK and America and and some of the more established countries that suicide is a really, it's almost as bad as the pandemic and the pandemic is certainly making for some terrible outcomes for people. What would you you suggest as a way for people to help connect and feel okay having a little bit more of a conversation? What's some of the guiding points you might raise? Right. Well, Terry, that's a really good point that you brought up. And I I understand what you're saying. So in in that direct answer to that, one of the things I've noticed with dealing with people who are going through very stressful, challenging times mentally and emotionally is giving them the space to talk and you being the person that just listens. Mm -hmm. Now that sounds incredibly simple, you know, very simplistic and basic, but I have proven that many, many times how powerful that can be because a lot of the problems stem from nobody actually being prepared to give them the time to listen to them. So if we can provide a space, so we don't have to have answers. It's not about having answers. It's about providing a open, non-judgmental space and time for that person just to tell you how they're feeling and what they're going through. That in itself is um, incredibly therapeutic for that person. Um, it's just that, that we live in such a fast-paced life. You know, Everybody's always busy. We're always moving around. We're always doing something. We're always going somewhere um, that we rarely have time for each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that is one of the key things that's, you know, one of the triggers maybe, I believe, and this is my personal belief, that's forcing people to say, well, no one really wants to listen to me. What's the point? So yeah. to give somebody some genuine quality time to listen, you do not have to have the answers. You do not have to say anything. 
It's the fact that you are slowing down, stopping and allowing that person to talk to you is incredibly powerful. And I've, and I've seen how that can actually work in itself. Absolutely. And I think that really highlights something that's so, so important. Um, the point you raised there that, yes, much of, much of what our time is taken up being busy living our, our busy lives. Um, and we're not as attuned to noticing when somebody's perhaps not okay. We might see that, you know, maybe they're a little bit less cheerful than perhaps they used to. They don't perhaps laugh as much as they used to, or maybe they isolate themselves a little bit more and perhaps they don't join in the conversations as much. We might just put that down to, oh, he's probably just, you know, probably tired. Oh, he's probably just busy at work. And we can find quick ways to dismiss that because in a lot of ways, one of the things I've noticed is we're often a little too hesitant to get involved in what could be happening in someone's life. Um, and, and that sort of tends to make it easier for ourselves to kind of justify and say, oh, he's probably just busy at work, you know. Oh, he's having a bit of a hard time. He's, he's had the flu recently. And we can kind of justify why somebody's been a bit off colour and not engaging. If we were to stop, and, and I take totally on board what you're saying, if we were to actually take that time to listen, to hear what someone is saying, not give them advice, not be the miss or Mr. Fix-It, but just to let them know that they are valued and heard. Yeah. That to me makes a big difference because one of the things in, in taking it that little bit more beyond just this part of the conversation is communication skills. We seem to have lost them since the advent of the internet. It's too easy to type things and, and walk away from the screen. But yeah. here we are having a conversation and the conversation skills. I'm actually hearing that, that COVID is, is creating conversations for people and people are being more observant because they're in such close proximity. We've had such a con con uh, continuous lockdown here in Melbourne. We're only just really coming out of our lockdown phase now. And people are starting to connect and really crave having conversations. But communication is not just having a chat over the fence. It's actually taking the time to listen. It's, it's hearing what somebody is saying. It's, as you say, not judgmental and allowing someone to have that space just to feel safe enough to speak up. Are there any communication tips that you work with that you would recommend people can explore and, and take uh, as part of their learning? Um, yes, Terry. And, and again, I think we've, we've touched on them. They're, they're very basic, but very powerful. Um, and I think num number one is uh, just being able to listen. And, and that means not, not create a space where you're waiting for the person to finish and then you start talking. That, that's not it. it. It really is listening to what they have to say, you know, making eye contact. They're, they're all basic things I know you know, but they're just, you know, when you look at somebody and they're talking to you and they see you looking back, that speaks volumes, you know. Um, again, maybe just turn your phone off and put your phone on silent, mm. you know, because if you're talking to someone, the phone goes off, it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> it's a little bit distracting. So, you know, maybe for those few minutes, turn your phone off, you know, look at the person um, and be make sure that you have the time as mm. well. So that's really important. So don't start a conversation and say, oh, well, oh I'm really sorry, I've got to go. You know, that's, yeah. that's terrible. That, <laughs> that is really, really awful. Mm. That's... You, you shouldn't have started it. So mm. make sure that you have that separate, that time to, 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 to spend with that person. Turn your phone off, look at them 
and actually keep your eyes open and your mouth shut. Mm. And, you know, they, they sound like all basic stuff, but if you just do that and just gently nod your head and show them that you are giving them that full attention, it's really very, very powerful. So they're simple things, but they work. And as you rightly said, Terry, we seem to have lost the art of communication. Mm. And it is an art, you know, that, that sense of making the person who's talking feel that they're really being listened to. That, that connect, that, that personal connect, and you can do that on the phone as well. You know, just, you can just be silent and listen. You don't always have to be talking. So you can have a phone call, but use the same skills. Mm. You can use exactly the same skills um, and make that person feel that they are being listened to and that what they're saying is important because that's another thing that I've found, Terry. Sometimes people will talk to um, certain organizations and the response makes them feel that they're being dismissed or not believed. And that is, again, horrible. That, that is a horrible feeling when you're telling somebody how you feel and they're just sort of brushing it off. Just like you said, you know, or maybe you just you'll, you'll be OK. You just got a touch of the flu. You'll be fine. You'll be OK tomorrow. Those those words, those sort of deflective words are really, really painful. And we have to be really careful. Hence, it's the lack of speaking and the more listening that does that makes the communication successful. I know it sounds people say, well, hang on a minute, I thought communication is a two-way thing. Yes, it is a two-way thing. That person's talking and you're listening. That's that's how it goes, because yeah. they need the space and you just need to be there for them. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and communication is, as they've you know often quoted in very much the scientific side of things, it's 75% body language and how we pick up on cues in the voice and what we see when we're actually talking. Um, and it's interesting that it's oftentimes, and this is the thing that I often find, it, it might not necessarily be because if it is on the phone, you can't see, it has to come from the voice. People have to hear in your voice when you do speak that they know that they're safe with you and that they can trust because your voice is soothing, it's calming and it's reassuring. Now, if you're anxious about helping somebody, that's going to come across and that might be the time when maybe you have to acknowledge within yourself I'm not ready for this conversation and I really like the point you made. It's terrible for the person on the receiving end to feel that they're not important enough that you'd rather answer your phone. And I'm not in any way saying you should never answer your phone when you're in a conversation. We know how, life, how, how busy life is. But if you're going to want to step up and be there for somebody and let them know, hey, I, I, I think you, you know, perhaps you're not okay. I can tell things are not, not okay for you. Let's have that conversation. You know, they've probably approached you and they're saying that, you know, maybe they're having a bit of a rough time. If you want to make that time, you have to, you have to let them know, I've got five minutes now, but maybe we can set up another time and let's yeah. have that conversation over a coffee. So it's, it, you've got to be able to manage the expectations of the person that is reaching out to you because they're already feeling unsteady, uncertain, insecure and very vulnerable and any sense of security or any sense of, uh, I suppose, not even just predictability but a managed expectation allows them to sort of have a bit of a grounding and something to hold on to and it's really imperative when we are stepping up to help somebody that we let them know exactly how comfortable we feel with what we're doing and as you say, we don't always need to do the talking. Sometimes it is just that right phrase that we say, I'm ready to listen. Tell me what's going on. Sometimes it just takes a little bit of a prompt. And as you say, sit back, close the mouth, open the ears, open the eyes, 
and really be present to the moment because for any of us who have had that moment that have, and I, I no doubt that some of our listeners will be familiar with having lost somebody in a, a traumatic situation and particularly if it is something like suicide, it's incredibly heartbreaking. It's so confusing emotionally for the people that then feel guilty for not being, I wasn't present, I didn't know, what could I have done? I feel bad, I didn't help. Yet the cues were probably always there, but we have lost that ability to feel comfortable having uncomfortable conversations. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I totally agree, um, Terry, absolutely, because um, sometimes I think we feel afraid to get involved. I think that's that's the other barrier. And again, we're putting that barrier up ourselves. So we're thinking, oh, well, I don't want to get involved because, you know, I don't know what to do. Again, it's not about knowing what to do. Um, this lo These lockdowns are you know, making people feel more isolated than they were before. And it's really, you know, it's really not doing any good at all for people's um, well-being, um, emotionally, physically. So when we do get the opportunity to connect with somebody, as you said rightly, we, we need to make sure that it's a quality connect because, you know, we don't know if there's going to be another lockdown again. So it's really, really important that we shouldn't feel afraid because um, there isn't any wrong or right. The fact that we're actually you know, willing to give our time to somebody is so precious. And people now, as you said, Terry, are valuing it more than before. So it's this value on human connection, which is so powerful. We were wired to connect, we're wired to be together. So this lockdown situation is completely going against how we were built. Um, and that's why it's such a, having such a massive impact. So if we do get the opportunity to connect with somebody, yeah, make sure it's a quality connect, you know, do as much as we can to make that other person feel that they're not isolated, that they haven't been left alone or pushed aside, because that's what it can feel like when you're in isolation. And if you're, if you haven't got family members around you, um, it just, you know, compounds that feeling. So anything we can do to change that, to make it better, you know, and, if, and like you said before, it's just small things. It's not massive things. It's not about spending money. It's nothing to do with money. Mm. It's about an emotional investment. Then if you want to call it that it's an emotional investment and the returns are amazing. Yeah. I, I like that terminology, the emotional investment. And it really is. It, it's, you, you make so many valid points that the, the whole experience of, of COVID or any sort of um, crisis that's going on globally that causes people to feel that they're uh, not able to reach out and be connected. Um, anytime that there's a crisis, it's, it's often led us to believe that we are more alone, that fewer people actually understand what we're going through. And I think that's the time when we, no matter what the situation is, no matter where it's happening, and because of the internet, we are so exposed to global matters now it, it, we just simply can't just close our eyes and say, oh, it doesn't affect me, I don't need to be a part of it, because there's always the ripple effect. And no matter where you are in the world, because of our exposure to the internet, we are learning so much more about what's going on in different countries for different people and different cultures and different races around the world. We, we just simply can't ignore or choose to be ignorant. So it's more about because the internet has changed the world around us, how do we as humans keep pace with that in a way that allows us to flourish rather than to perhaps um, switch off and disconnect? So that's something that I've observed there is, is just, it is little steps. It, the emotional investment doesn't have to be 
the equivalent of, you know, um, uh, like a five-hour conversation. It doesn't have to be. Sometimes it it just needs to be five minutes sometimes, but it's got to be enough and it's got to be authentic enough that the recipient of your words and your gesture fully understands that they've been heard and they've been listened to. One of the things that I see that happens quite a lot around our, our world is that people don't feel actually heard and we often, as you mentioned earlier, sometimes we talk for the sake of um, when someone finishes speaking, talking so that we can then speak rather than acknowledging how did they just speak just then? What did they actually say? What's really going on? We've got to be comfortable peeling away a few of those layers that are in the conversation because, you know, we have those little superficial conversations, the idle chit-chats, how are you going? Oh, I'm okay. How are you? How are the kids? We can have those and they're great. It's idle banter. But what about what's going on beneath the layers? What is really going on? And I, I can imagine you would have a lot of perhaps very, very fairly potent conversations, uh, especially with some of the issues beyond COVID. There's, in, in terms of while COVID's been happening, there have also been other fairly passionate issues that have been affecting cultures around the world. Is there anything that's come up for you that you've been dealing with that you know has become something you're quite passionate about? Um, yes, Terry, I, I think you've just queued up that very nicely. And I think one of the, the major situations was the George Floyd incident in, in America, which was, as you said, because of the internet, was broadcast worldwide. And that had a global impact on, on everybody, not just um, people from the black culture, but from every culture, you know, that no human should, have be, should be treated like that anyway, full stop. Um, again, on top of that, the fact that the, the, that young young man was was black as well, obviously had a direct impact on you know the the black and minority ethnic uh, communities around the world. And actually, Terry, I've I've been dealing with a lot of that situation, also of that the ripple effect. Then, yeah. if if you want to call it, as we said before about that incident, um, I was actually did a session with some um, black and minority ethnic lecturers in a university here in the UK yesterday, actually. Oh, wow. And that was one of the things that they were talking about um, because of the impact it had on them as professionals and then having to carry on their roles. And we basically created a safe space where they could come together and express that. Mm. And as we were, you know, say, I, I, I didn't go in there with any answers. I didn't go in there with any solutions. It was about facilitating a safe space. Um, and these opportunities are, are what I really enjoy about the work that I've been allowed to do is giving people a space where they can actually say exactly how they're feeling. And mm -hmm. it did get quite emotional. Mm -hmm. um, but the fact of the matter was, it was all right for them to be emotional in that space. You know, they weren't in a classroom. We were on a, it was a closed meeting and all the, the, the lecturers there were from um, a black and minority ethnic background and they were able to come together and say, yeah, this is exactly how I'm feeling and I've been feeling like this and I haven't had anywhere to actually release this. But we created this space where they could do that. Um, it was healthy. They were able to, you know, tell us exactly how they're feeling and talk to each other about it as well and support each other. So sometimes, again, it's about getting, it's about facilitating conversations. Um, not, again, not having the answers, just getting people together who need the space to share and to let them know that they're not the only ones who are thinking like that. Because again, that can happen. You can be a professional thinking, can I talk about this? Is mm. it safe? 
is it where can I where where can I go with this because I need to sort of like release this and I can't carry on so being able to facilitate safe spaces like that as we said before is really really important and that particular incident you know the worldwide incident um it really rose and brought people's emotions to the surface mm -hmm. and if there isn't anywhere to put these emotions that can be quite dangerous as well so we have to be able to to let people know how we feel safely and then we can deal with it rather than bottling it up and as you know Terry very well I don't have to tell you you know bottled up feelings are negative they can actually physically make us feel unwell not just emotionally so we have to provide spaces where people can actually express how they feel safely and then deal with it or manage it and then move on rather than be stuck with it and it's it festers and eats it away at people's lives and their well-being so yeah it's it's all about sometimes you know, giving people, facilitating a space for people to talk about how they're feeling as well. I think what you've explained there is absolutely incredibly, it's so palpable. It is about providing a safe space and allowing people to recognise that, you know what, I'm actually not alone. There are other people who are expressing, maybe in different words, but the intensity and the same feelings are coming through. People need to acknowledge that, it is okay to feel not okay and that it's, it's as you say, bottling it up is one of the most toxic things we can do ourselves and it can have really toxic repercussions if we don't know how to manage the emotions because it's almost like pressure cooker. At some point it will burst through. There is That is just what happens. The body has to do it somehow in order to try and find equilibrium again. So, you know, the fact what you do I think is, is really unique and and amazing in the sense that you, you deliver it in a way that makes it really um, uh, not just important but like and, and as you were speaking what went through my mind was you know what we have our accountants and we have our family doctors and we have our mechanics and we have our lawyers we need to have that person or that connection with the a social worker or somebody of that ilk who is able to allow us to have that safe space. And that, to me, I think should be something that is just part of our um, the old Rolodex. We should just know that that person is the person that we can go to. And, you know, we need to have better networks. We need to, we need to sort of start identifying that it's okay to not be okay. I don't have to walk around with a smile on my face 24-7. I'm going to have a bad day. And I'm going to be okay, provided I'm not told that I have to always be chipper and, and upbeat and, and positive all the time. Because if I'm then not feeling that, then I'm going through added turmoil on thinking there's something wrong with me if I'm not living up to those external expectations of, you know, how I'm managing myself. If we take away some of that external pressure and simply allow people to really just physically and emotionally have the bad day, it becomes a bad day. It becomes that moment rather than being something that they're trying to bottle up, then builds up and becomes an explosive bad year, if that makes sense. Is that something that you, you would resonate with? Um, absolutely, Terry. Um, it, it's so true because, um, you know, that, that phrase, it's, it's okay not to be okay, um, it's, it's just making sure that we understand that because some people are, they just use it um, I'm not really understanding what it means. You know, it's basically, as you said, allowing people to say that, look, you know, there isn't any, you can't be perfect. No, none of us are perfect. Um, and so acknowledging that fact straight away 
will allow us then to say, well, yes, if you're going to have good days, you're going to have bad days. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you said, the general culture is, you know, is that you you get on with it and pull your socks up. Don't make, don't, don't moan, you know, yeah. and, and there's this culture of not complaining. Yeah. Um, and especially in the, in the, in the UK, probably get told off for this, that, that um, the, the stiff upper lip thing, yeah. you know, that mm. we, we just carry on and keep going and it'll be all right in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those days are gone now. Those days are definitely gone. Absolutely. And people are, you know, wanting to say that, look, today isn't my, is not a good day for me. Um, and, you know, I'm going to need maybe talk to somebody about it. Mm. And I think what's happening now, I, what I believe is happening is people are being more confident to say that. Mm. Um, and I think what our job is to do is to allow people to feel comfortable, as you said, to say, look, um, I need to talk to somebody about a situation, um, you know, in private. And mm. I, I need some support. Where, where can I get that support? Rather than the opposite is of, I'm not going to talk to anybody. I'll keep it to myself because if I talk about it, they're going to think I'm crazy or I'm weak or I'm, you know, useless. Yeah. And, and, and so we've got these two opposing views, you know, what do I do? And what we want to do is to say to people, yes, you can talk about how you feel and you're not going to be judged about it. Mm. And I think that's, that's the message we have to send out universally. It's, you know, you, you need to be able to express how you're feeling without being judged. And I think that's what's stopping people because the minute we say, well, I'm not feeling well, we get judged to say, oh, you're weak. So we have to take away that culture. So it's a it's a culture change that we've got to drive forward, Terry. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that word actually is a good segue into the thought that I was having, Ben, was the culture that we've created is not necessarily our here and now culture. A lot of what happens to us, and this is something that I have a, a fascination for, is um, I believe it's called epigenetics, but it's that historical genetic trauma um, in the sense that if we look through our histories, we are all, everyone on the planet today as we speak, we're not only just going through COVID, so this is a trauma in itself, as you mentioned earlier, but we are all more or less four or five generations, maybe six, depending on how you want to see it, away from some of the worst, most horrendous global crime that ever happened in our recorded history in World War II. So, and I look at that and, you know, we... I'm not sort of someone to dwell on it from a negative point of view, but just literally we need to be able to reflect on who was in our family that was caught up in that war. And, for example, in my family, um, my mother's um, uncles uh, all were lost in the war and um, my stepdad's uncles were also lost in the war, as were cousins. And so really they are only like you know, two generations removed from me. And I know that my mother, who was born in 1945, at the end of the war, that whole culture was coming through, even though Australia was relatively untouched in terms of we weren't, um, we weren't bombed in the way that London was, um, although Northern Territory certainly did score because Darwin was bombed during the latter stages. No country really escaped it. We, we had many countries that were um, traumatised by the absolute fear of war. And that fear became part of the vernacular, part of our conversation, part of the way we saw the world. And you had to develop a stiff upper lip in some cases because you couldn't moan, because everyone was going through it. Yet it was that sense that because we shouldn't complain because there are people worse off, we sort of stop listening to ourselves and listening to other people around us 
And, you know, I've watched a number of documentaries about the first video uh, that was taken of soldiers that suffered from shell shock. And it is horrific to watch the, the uncontrollable spasms and the loss of quality of life. And I, I reflect on all of that past history because we have a lot to learn from COVID is, is traumatic in itself. What can we learn in terms of if we reflect back on changing culture and changing what we believe now, what can we learn from what our predecessors has, have endured? You know, it, do you have any thoughts on how history can shape what we're doing now? Um, really great point that you're bringing, Terry. Um, and, and yes, you know, we do have to learn from history what's happened in the past. And as you said, you know, the, the, those two world wars, First and Second World War, you know, everyone was affected somehow. And I, I love the way that you brought it, that similarity to the pandemic again, because it's everyone's been affected by it. So there, there, there are two events that are now affecting everybody. And I think for me personally, Terry, what I, what I believe is that what we should learn from historically is that, and again, it's very, very basic. I am a very, I'm not a very complicated person. What the, the thing is, is that we, when we come together, when we unite together, we are able to overcome these, situ these situations. And so it's, although this pandemic is separating us, I think our mindset needs to be to work together, to, mm -hmm. to connect, to support each other, how, however that may be. And, you know, there are so many tools and, and platforms that we can use to support each other, even though we're separated because of, you know, lockdown distancing. Mm -hmm. But the mindset should be, let us support each other to get through this. Because if we come together, we will come out of it together, stronger, I, I believe in my, I've got a, a, a program that I work with or teach, which is called the Thrive Workshop. So it's about changing the way that we think. Mm -hmm. um, and, and when this started, my, my thought to my, with my wife, Jo, I said that I'm, I'm preparing to come out of this pandemic better than how I entered. So mm -hmm. that, that's how the, the Thrive Minds, and we, we, we developed a workshop on Thrive. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's about taking people with you you know, taking people with you, supporting them and making sure that we work together to come out of this because this, at some point there will be an end to it. We don't know when, but there will be an end to it. So it's about, um, and as in, in the, in the, when the war was on, people came together, Terry, I'm sure you know, you know, even though it was, it was traumatic, it was, you know, devastating, but people pulled together, even in the midst of all that death and negativity and destruction, the way people got through it was by coming together. Yeah. so it's what we need to do I believe is to take what we learned there and say right okay this isn't the first trauma that we've that we've suffered it's a different type of trauma but how did we get through it we stuck together so we weren't although we we, we can't physically be together but we can still connect with each other and it's the mindset of working with each other that I I believe is going to get us through this better yeah. than how we entered and and that is my genuine personal belief that if we can take people with us not leave people behind take people with us you know those who are a bit stronger you take someone who's a bit weaker take them with you don't leave them behind to, to get through this because together we will make it and that that that's what i believe people say oh that's very well i i honestly genuinely believe that i'm not just saying it that's what that's how i live my life i try not to leave people behind I, and um, I, that's I, how i think we will be successful yeah I, I hear you on that i think that's a really valuable way to look at things is and um, it's, it's kind of funny that you say that in, a, in an ironic sense that because quite often one of the, 
the mindsets of the soldiers in those wars was you don't leave someone behind, you don't leave your comrade behind, you 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 go for them, you help them, you try and rescue them in a situation. You know, you don't leave someone behind, you you take that person who's fallen down and you take them out with you, you, you come together. And I, I, I like the fact that that's, you know, a way that people can think of it. And it's just like, simplicity is really important for people to be able to grasp that this doesn't have to be overwhelming. If we, if we strip it down to the basics, learn to listen, learn to ask the questions, but know that in the answers, if the answers are you don't know how to help from a you don't feel confident helping, as you already suggested, and it's a great way to look at this, you may not be the person that can provide fantastic answers. That's okay, you don't need to be. Just direct them back to their doctor and say something as simple as, Perhaps you need to get in and see your doctor. Don't do this on your own. Your doctor, talk to your doctor about this. Mention, I always find it's really valuable to say, don't do this on your own. And, and let them know, you're there if you can be. I don't know how I can help you, but I'm here. I can listen. Keep it nice and simple. And I like the fact that you mentioned simplicity is really the key. And being openly available emotionally with that emotional investment. Um, now, you mentioned something there, and I just want to pick up on it in case it's something that I did miss. Um, you mentioned the Thrive program. Was that something that you have created? Is that your program? Uh, yeah, it's, it's something, uh, a workshop that I created specifically as a result of, of, of the COVID pandemic starting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been using that with, with organisations um, and individuals as well. Um, because somebody was asking me that, you know, this, this is happening. People are really suffering. What, what, can you, what can you do? What can you provide? And I specifically thought, I was saying to my wife, that we, we need to, to have a mindset change because people were really being affected how, you know, what was happening. There was the anxiety, the depression, the worry. Um, and I decided to go for a complete opposite, you know, focus, which was like, no, we're going to be thriving in this. Mm-hmm. And to uh, explain what that meant. Um, just very quickly, Terry, I'll, I'll maybe tell you a bit about it later. Mm-hmm. But Thrive was T, for, T is for Thanksgiving, H is for hope, mm-hmm. R is for resilience, mm-hmm. I is for innovation, V is for value, and E is for exercise and encouragement, so that the course is broken down into the letters and we, we go through them individually. But it's basically helping people to, to look at what's happening in a, in a positive way and looking at themselves in a positive way. So it's very much about changing the way that you look at what is happening rather than accepting it as um, you know, as what it is, which yes, it is stressful, but we're saying you can actually get through this by changing the way that you address it. Mm. So it's about working on yourself rather than, you know, wanting to go and change everything externally. We're talking about, no, this is about changing how you approach life, how you think about yourself. Um, and that's going to give you the strength to get through this. So we, we, we're telling people that they are going to thrive rather than just survive. Surviving sounds like, you know, just tre- treading water, just about getting to the bank. Thriving is actually coming out of it better than how you entered it. So that, that's what we do with the Thrive Programme. We help people to change their mindset. Mm, I think that's it's really, really critical. And if anything, it, it, it to me doesn't sound just like it's helping them to, you know, tweak their mindset. It's also sounding like, if anything, it's a really powerful set of tools. So in it, because you've set it up using those letters and the word then prompts them to think of what those letters mean. So it's a really quick and simple, um, uh, I suppose, way of recalling, what did I learn from that? What, what, did, what did E mean? Oh, it was about my education and it's about encouragement. It's about thinking of all of, and it starts the, the internal prompting 
to remember what it is you've taught them. So you've given them a set of tools. And it's one of the things I find is when you can give someone a simple tool that they then can relate to, as in it fits with how they see the world, that tool can help them to feel empowered, stronger, more like they can cope. It gives some people an anchor because fear and anxiety and, and you know depression and those sorts of really troubling emotions, if we don't know how to address them, they can become, um, not only do they make us feel unstable and insecure, but they can be really, I guess the word is, and I'm thinking along the lines of it's, it, they're not necessarily irrational, but some people might say they are, but it's that they feel that you can't grasp what's really going on because you're overwhelmed by those emotions. And when you have a tool that allows you to stop, breathe and take a moment to think about what's going on, that tool can help you to, as you say, just change their thinking a little bit, change the way they're processing things. We need to firstly acknowledge that someone is having a not a great time and that it's okay, have that safe space for that. We don't want to stop there. And I like the idea that you've got a program that addresses that and gives them something positive to look forward to because in, in the states of distress and, uh, I guess, with COVID probably presenting for some people a, a loss of hope because of the lockdown particularly and because it's gone on for so long, that feeling that there is something to look forward to that adds, and I like how you've said it, it's coming out of it better than when I went into it. I really like that. And because you've developed the program, is there anything else on your agenda, Michael, that you are doing that is something like perhaps a book or anything else that you are working on at the moment or any other major projects going on? Um, yeah, Terry, funny you mentioned a book. Um, I, I have been writing poetry for a number of years from when I was a teenager, um, so that is a number of years ago, um, and I'm hoping to bring out a book next year, a book of, the, a book of those poems, just to sort of encourage and um, inspire people so mm -hmm. I'm, I'm working on that at the moment in amongst uh, the, the work that I'm doing with the wellbeing consultancy and the mental health charity. So that's a little sort of pet project that I'm hoping to finish early next year, if all goes mm -hmm. well. But yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to that. Absolutely. And I have read some of your poems and I have to say you are one very gifted wordsmith when it comes to expressing just so many natural, raw emotions and putting them into a really... Um, not an easy to read context that goes without saying but even in a way that makes them easy to kind of absorb and understand uh, and and I, I can imagine your poems are going to be a really amazing book that would would you know grace the the bookshelves of a lot of people that would be really an interesting project I look forward to seeing how that one unfolds for you as well uh, that said and I know that you you're so actively involved in so many amazing things I know you from um, a speaking program that we did on the internet and I know that we've got a few uh, mutual friends through that so having followed you on Facebook I know there's one thing that you're doing and I'd love to get you to expand a little bit on it so that anyone that might want to follow along and and capture what it is that you're involved in is tell us a little bit about those little video vignettes that you do that are about helping people take care of themselves. The, uh, oh. I like the tag phrase that you use. I always take your lunch break. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, the, the, the well-being tips of the week, that, that started, as you said, Terry, after I did the, the Speak and Inspire course um, and we had to commit to do something. Mm -hmm. So I, I committed to producing, well, most weeks, um, a well-being tip of the week. And I basically um, take a tip, I try to make it rhyme so it's, it's nice and easy to remember. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the latest one I did uh, a, a week ago was um, 
when your life takes a twist, don't think it's strange. The only constant in life is that things will change. So, you know, just something basic like that. Um, but it helps you to remember what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I may probably pick up on a quote from somebody, maybe a famous quote about change. Um, and then I'll pick out three tips about the benefits of embracing change. Mm-hmm. That's just an example. So there's a little formula. Um, and I try and put these out once a week. Again, it's just about giving people a little bit of a lift. Mm -hmm. just a little bit of a lift something positive to read because as you said we need to combat the negatives with positives we can't have it all going one way i don't i don't believe in that um and so the well-being tips are just there for people just nice and quick it's about two and a half minutes of of a video again it's not too long have to appreciate that people haven't got loads and loads of time but you want to give them something to like you know a little hook something to latch on to um and it's, it's a little bit of fun but it's also that there's some there's some fun in there as well um but there are some facts and tips that you can actually say well actually you know, i didn't know about that so little yeah. things you can take away um and it just helps to lift people and again it's about changing our mindset how we think about things um because for example with change some people can see change as negative and i think well actually it's not that bad <laughs> you know so you look, look at it in a positive way so yeah, yeah the well-being tips about lifting people um just for a few minutes and just having something positive to latch on to mm. oh, i think they're fantastic I, i'm always i remember asking you how do you come up with those they're so cool and as you've mentioned they have got a bit of a formula which does again make life that little bit easier and and if anything that sort of translates a little bit across daily life really in in if we can have a bit of a formula for life that we can get through for people that are maybe not coping so well or people that might be finding that COVID's just really stressing them just more than what they would normally manage with um you know I know for example stress shows up in different ways some people turn to perhaps alcohol some people might smoke more than they normally would some people might turn to the refrigerator or they might find that they're you know drinking a lot more coffee, perhaps they're not sleeping, they might be, you know, binge watching something on Netflix, or it might just show up in a a way that you do it all the time anyway, but this is sort of amplifying it. And then you're finding you're perhaps getting into a bit of an unhealthy habit. If that's the case, I often find that that little formula in, in, even though what you're doing is for a specific purpose, that formula approach can often be something that is really a way for people to think well okay today if I just do this and then this and allow those things to come of it and that's my little formula to measure my my capacity to cope for the day I just need to just focus on that and sometimes that little formula is enough it's enough to help people realize I can get through this so a lot of what you're talking about really makes it's just basic sense isn't it it's just Sometimes we just have to look at that, that stress and anxiety and, and fear can overwhelm us and, and blow things out of proportion. But if we were just to take a few deep breaths and come back to what really is going on, I think, as you say, sometimes if we look at the simplicity of it, that's where some of the answers are. Absolutely. absolutely. And, and Terry, you mentioned um, something really important about finding ourselves maybe little routines and practices mm-hmm. that we do. Um, and I've been you know, working on myself and what I've been doing a lot recently since a lot of that is, is walking in the mornings. Mm-hmm. So um, I get up as early as I can, say around about sometimes five or six o'clock a.m. here mm-hmm. um, and I'll get up and I'll, I'll read, um, do a little bit of meditation um, some affirmations and then I'll go out for my morning walk and then come back and I try and do all that stuff before I start my work so before 9am I've done all of that and what I'm finding as you 
brilliantly pointed out that having a little system helps you get through part of the day. And especially if you put it at the beginning of the day, you, you build up a really nice positive start and that positive energy does help you to cope with whatever else is going to happen. And I, I've personally found the benefits of that are, are brilliant. So, you know, so every morning now it's like my body needs to walk. So if I don't walk, it's like, oh, what's, hang on, you haven't gone for a walk. You need to go for a walk, get out. You know, so, so it's almost like your body is telling you that something's missing. So, you know, hang on a minute, get out there. You need to go for a walk. And obviously the benefits of walking, keeping physically healthy are well known and it does help to manage stress and anxiety. So it, it's, it does, the physical works for your emotional and mental health as well. So some, some form of daily exercise, it doesn't have to be walking or running. It's whatever you like to do. Um, maybe cycling, walking the dog if you have a pet, but just getting outside and into some sort of daily exercise really does help to manage your emotional well-being. It's, it's one of yeah. the things that helps, but it, it's yeah. something that we can all do. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I probably will just uh, tweak that a little bit by saying, for those of you in the audience who are listening to this, some of you may know a little bit of my story in that a few years ago I was in a car accident and unfortunately I have lost the ability to naturally go and participate in exercise to the level that my pre-car accident days would have allowed me to do. And I found, to be very frank with everyone, I found it incredibly difficult when COVID came along because I'd already been isolated because of my injuries. I couldn't go out because I found walking very difficult. I use a walking stick. When I don't have the walking stick, I'm actually a danger to myself and others I can fall over. So um, the idea of going for a walk I actually used to love the idea of cycling and wanting to run. So for me, the, the fact that I'm not able to do what I previously had done and now COVID is really amplifying that sense of being locked down, I do confess I, I struggled. I've had some very difficult days. But it comes back down to knowing that what, what, does, what does crisis really look like and, and what's really happened have you ever coped with a crisis before and have you been through a difficult time before and you're still here you're still breathing and you're still managing you don't have to be writing you know the Pulitzer Prize novel or discovering something scientific you don't have to be taking on the world praise yourself for waking up and getting out of bed and realizing that you are here in this moment right now you may not be able to go for a walk because perhaps a little bit like me, maybe your body doesn't let you. Don't let that stop you. Find an exercise that you can do. So for me, while I can't exercise the way I would like to, I have found that there are things that I can do. And that has been allowing me to at least channel that energy. Because like you say, Michael, that exercise that we do, not only is it good for the physical state, it's really good for the mental state as well. So if you're listening to this and you've found yourself perhaps a little bit lost and maybe COVID's really stressing you and you're feeling that you don't quite know where to turn, what to do, one of the best things you can do for yourself is take care of your physical well-being, which really comes back to everything that Michael has been saying. He's, he's really an advocate for talking about um, really taking care of your health, putting you at the forefront and at the top of the list of priorities of managing your well-being. And, and if anything, Michael's, I, I think Michael's absolutely nailed it. He knows so many good things about what to do and he makes a lot of what he does simple and understandable 
so that it doesn't add to the layers of stress you might already be going through. So hats off to you, Michael. I think what you were doing, particularly through COVID and when things have been very difficult, particularly during that crisis uh, related to the, the death of George Floyd, those moments in time, you, you've shown up and you've allowed people to recognise that it's not good to go through these things, but if we band together and if we, we put some simple steps in place, we can get through this and be better at the end of it. So just wrapping up, Michael, and, and looking at, we've had a really phenomenal conversation here. What is it you do? Who do you do it for? And why do you do it? Wrap us up with that. Right. I, do, I, I help people to look after their well-being and make it a non-negotiable priority. And when I say non-negotiable, I want people to understand that without good well-being, mental, emotional, physical, everything else doesn't actually matter. It doesn't matter. It, you know, you, you may be, the example I use um, is that maybe in your place of employment, you might be the number one go-to person, you know, the, the best person at, at your job. But if you're sick in bed at home, then you're useless. You're, you're literally redundant. So what, what's the point? You know, you're fantastic at your job, but you're sick. Mm -hmm. You can't do it. So make that your number one priority. Um, the reason that I do it is because I understand from my own personal experiences that without looking after how we feel and function, the, the other parts of our lives don't really work. Mm -hmm. They don't. So you may have a lot of money. You may be very rich and wealthy. But if you have um, a negative emotional mental state, you can't enjoy it. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're isolated and you're not being able to manage your emotions, it's, it's useless. So it's really fundamental, I believe. And, you know, this is for everybody. It's not for a, a specific type of person. This is from the youngest to the eldest. As long as we're living and breathing, this is why I do it, to help people improve their lives. And I believe that we can all help each other improve our lives. And that, that's my mission. That's why I get up in the morning, because I believe every time I get up in the morning, there's somebody's life that I can positively impact. Mm -hmm. um, and as I always say, helping people to always take their lunch break, you know, don't, don't deny yourself. And that, that basically is saying, do not deny yourself your self-care. Mm -hmm. And self-care is not selfish. Absolutely. No, it's not at all. It is the most important thing because, as you say, if we don't take care of ourselves, fundamentally putting ourselves at the forefront of everything, we become next to useless to everyone else around us. And I think that's really super critical for anybody, not simply just in the workplace where it's really important, but, you know, perhaps you're a parent. You're, what happens if you're not, you know, you're not functioning? What about your kids? You know, what about perhaps you might have elderly parents that rely on you? What happens to them if you aren't taking care of yourself? And not only that, how about you? How do you feel about yourself when you're not taking care of yourself? The, the, the feelings that we have are not just emotions. They're physical as well. And the body's a complex unit. It's, it's all intertwined. And the moment we sort of slack off on one thing, it can have a really detrimental effect, not just throughout our bodies, throughout our minds, but throughout our environments. So it's really important. What, what Michael is saying is really valuable, everyone. So I'm hoping that you've gained some really valuable insights into what you can do to manage if you're not having a good day, some of the simple tricks and techniques 
that'll just help you get through if you're not having such a great time and to realise that it really is absolutely okay to not be okay, but to take steps to try and find a way to thrive, as Michael has identified, and come out of this situation or the situation you might find yourself in, come out of it in a way that is better than what we're currently in. So, Michael, people might want to find you online. Um, what I'll make sure of is that any um, websites or other means to contact you are located in the description below the YouTube video and also in the podcast. But is there anything that you would like to let people know in terms of where they can find you or any way that they can reach out to you? What would you like to let them know? Um, yeah, I, I can be accessed by my, my website. Um, and the website is very simply www.alwaystakeyourlunchbreak.com. So it's a, really, it's a really easy website to, to remember. And as you said, Terry, you're going to put the details there. You can email me through the website. Um, I do give um, free 30 minute wellbeing consultations. And as you know, because we've got the technology, we can either do that on the phone or by Zoom. So if you did want to, to contact me for a, a free 30 minute wellbeing consultation where we can just discuss where you are and maybe give a few tips on how you can move things forward, um, I'm available to do that. And we can set those meetings up, obviously with the time differences, wherever we are in the world. Um, but I'm happy to do that, happy to connect with people. Like I said, Terry, I'm, I work with people. It's not a particular type of person. It's anybody who really wants to care about their well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Instagram and, and Facebook and Twitter. So, yeah, I'm, I'm quite accessible. Excellent. No, that's excellent. And uh, finally, I, I guess wrapping up as well, um, if you've tuned in and you've uh, watched this, obviously this is a recording. So you're watching this after Michael and I have had our conversation that's because I wanted it loaded up and available so that anytime anyone wants to watch this and perhaps you heard something that Michael had said and you want to catch it again, you can always rewind and rewatch, or you can go and listen to the podcast and just find it on any of your good podcasting uh, channels. So the, the important part of all of this is maybe subscribe. Subscribe to this YouTube channel or to the podcast so that you are aware of when any of these these interviews are uploaded. Because if you've listened to this one, you know that there are some pretty amazing people on the planet who are doing pretty awesome things. And I have the privilege of talking with them and bringing them to you. So, Michael, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much all the way from the UK. I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Thank you very much, Terry. Yeah, I've got the sun coming out now, as you can just see. (laughs) So I think we're going to have a sunny day. Awesome, man. I Thank don't you want to so have much. there by the sun shining right in the <laughs> That's no, fine. Thank you so much. I want to thank you very much for allowing me onto your platform um, to share my views and thoughts. And I've really appreciated it. And, you know, look forward to catching up with you later as well. Anyway, we'll keep we'll definitely keep in touch. Fantastic. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on and uh, go and enjoy that lovely sunny day. And We're having a really lovely warm night here. We're not far off having some thunderstorms. So weather around the world, we're all having it, aren't we? (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Take care, Michael. Thank you. Take care, Jay. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.